We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we discussed a potential Russell Westbrook trade and kind of where we we see things standing at the moment. And I came from the perspective that I think the front office has created an an environment where there are multiple teams and all of these teams have been reported, right? But when you give yourself options, it's harder to get pinned down in a negotiation. And so as a result of that, I have assumed, and this is where we're going to talk about today, uh, I have assumed that there's an offer on the table where they can find common ground with an offer that would be within the acceptable amount of player that comes back in exchange for Russ and probably two first round picks. Now, that assumption may be wrong. And where each of our lines are for where we would do that trade, how much needs to come back for that to happen, is they're all in different spots. But it's the front office and ownership and the Lakers organization in general who is deciding on that. So where their line is, D may be very different from where ours is, or the offers on the table may not be that great. So there is a very realistic future that Russ is back next year. And some of the reporting recently has been kind of along those lines, like talking talking about that. There was Mark Stein reported that Pat Bev and Russ, right, the uh, famous enemies had been in contact and just various reports have been talking about that. And so, D, I think we need to explore this subject. What if Russell Westbrook is back on the team next year? What if this is the team we have going into the season? Until it's not the team, then it is the team. Yeah. It's interesting, man, because I am a Lakers fan. And so, so much of my thinking around the team is derived off the fact that I, I like what I like. I want them to succeed and I want them to be the best version. And I want them to go 82 and 0 every season. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, All I'm ever thinking about is, well, what's the best version of the team? But fandom is also a lens in which you view things through like what you like and what you don't like. Right. I had that quote that one time when you and I were recording, Pete, where you asked me about KCP. And I had said basically like I didn't want him back. 
right? Right. And I've talked about a bunch of players who I like to certain degrees and dislike to different degrees. And all of that is through the lens of fandom of what I like as an individual fan and what I think is going to help the team win and not win. Right. And so I think we've all viewed Russell Westbrook through a very similar lens of that is like what we think he's going to be able to do in order to help the team do what they say is their ultimate goal, which is win a championship. And that's the lens that I've been viewing it all through. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of neutral on Russ as like a person and a player. I think in the right circumstance, he can still help a team. I don't think he can necessarily help this Lakers team in the way that they need to be helped in order to win a championship. I made that clear in the last pod. And if their goal is to win a championship, then I think that they should trade him. That's basically it. That's where I've been coming at this whole thing from. But you're right, Pete. Like LeBron was all on Twitter just a week ago, basically like Russ is going to come back and he's going to have a good year. LeBron doesn't need to say any of that on Twitter or anywhere else. The Stein report that you mentioned earlier, that's another thing. The idea that the Lakers are always going to try to improve their roster, which is the framework in which they've been talking about any sort of veiled discussion around a Russell Westbrook trade, that improve the roster, quote unquote, that's a... I don't know, man. That's just this approach of like, okay, well, we're going to make a deal that we think makes sense. And if a deal doesn't make sense, we feel comfortable not making a deal. That's like the context of phrasing it Mm -hmm. that way. So I do think that it's a real possibility that he's back on the roster next season. Like just because that's currently the reality until he's not, then he is. And I think that as fans, there's a certain amount of like preparing yourself for that and understanding that that's the case. And then my analysis brain starts to go towards the place of, okay, well, what does that look like? How could it all come together? And I start to go down that path, even if it's not necessarily the path that I want to go down for the team, because I have my own opinions about what I think is going to be right or wrong. I don't expect either of you to speak as like, oh, definitively about like, oh, well, yes, I want him gone or no, I don't. Because to a certain extent, that's irrelevant. It's one of the reasons why, like, at Foreign Blue and Gold, when Kurt Heelan started the site, he had this thing in the comments about, like, no trade speculation. Like, I'm just going to delete all of those comments about trade speculation. And one of the reasons why was because that stuff is fruitless. You get, there's no analysis in that around like, okay, well, you know what I would do? I would trade this guy for that guy. It's just like, fantastic. Do you run the Lakers? Oh, you don't? Well, then your opinion doesn't really matter within this, right? And so Russ is on the team right now. And planning for that to stay the case is probably at least something we should all consider is where I'm at. And I don't know where either of y'all are at, but like my mind is going more and more in that direction as the calendar turns to September and training camp is going to start in less than a month. Well, I don't think the possibility of Russ returning has ever been off the table, clearly. So even in anybody's in anybody's trade idea or anybody's a concept of what the roster is going to look like, especially to start the season. And, you know, the reason is because, well, two, but the first one is that the actual contract, right? And this is something that we talked about a lot last year, or even after the deal was made. Um, It just narrows the scope of things that can be done uh, in the first place. And it attaches a certain level of asset to it. 
And that makes it tough to stomach uh, for whoever's making the trade. And that's never changed. And that still exists. And that still remains an impediment. So basketball wise, I thought that I do think that there was a big enough sample size last year between Westbrook and LeBron and AD to evaluate the fit. You really think that was a big enough sample of them of them all playing together? Yes. I, I think that okay. so knowing what players are and knowing and watching them for their entire careers, it's one thing if you got three young guys and they're all still trying to figure out what type of players they are. You know, I don't know if if you really need more than five to ten games sometimes uh, to to look and see how something's gonna how something's going to operate unless one of those players just completely changes everything that they do. And that doesn't happen very often. What about the surrounding environment though, right? Like before the year, as somebody who, before the year, I was screaming, we cannot start DeAndre Jordan. We cannot start a second big next to Anthony Davis, right? And so like, I I don't know, man, like, I, well, I'm sorry, you've continue. Our, I, I, you've rehashed our major argument from last year, right? <laughs> Which, and we continue to disagree about. And I continue to think that there was a lot of time spent on the floor without a center with basically all small players with either Russ and AD or either Russ and LeBron and some spacing. And I, I, I just think we saw plenty of it. And I don't think there was a, a there, I don't think there was any type of change barring maybe like a quarter here and there. See, I, I don't think we, we saw plenty of it for, and the reason, and that's like, our disagreement. Yeah. but <laughs> the, the number of games that LeBron and AD and Russ played together without a big that doesn't shoot starting next to them was in single digits. So like the idea, at least the thing that I push back against, the idea that we had some sort of representative sample size, I think like absolutely not. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, well, we will. We can agree to disagree uh, on that. And and I think that even if you have the greatest shooting center of all time spaced out with that group and you have an excellent shooting guard who does nothing but shoot threes, teams are still going to play the same way. Russ, go ahead. We're going to back off 10 feet. Right. He's not going to be able to shoot that shot and he's not going to go set screens off the ball. It's the, it's still going to be the same. And then defensively, this is where maybe Darvin Ham can have an impact. But I don't see that. I don't see that fit changing. I don't see the fit of how Westbrook complements LeBron and AD um, changing, regardless of what the personnel is. You remember last year, uh, Vogel was talking about early on the importance of our screening angles and how that was going to be a really important thing. Like, do you guys remember that being a, a thing that he was talking about and emphasizing yes. earlier in the year? Yeah. So part of that is last year, if that's DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard or whoever your five is, is coming from the dunker spot to set a step up screen. And this is what Vogel was talking about was our step up screens in particular. If you're the defense, the defensive decisions that I was always talking about, and he's coming up to set a pick and roll for Russ, the decisions that the defense makes, you're going to send all of your assets into the paint. If you make that exact same decision on Thomas Bryant, that's a pick and pop where the top of the key is completely open. I don't think you need the to have the greatest, you know, I don't, you don't need to have Marcus Gasol at the top of the key right there, a really good uh, spot up three-point shooter, but having a guy who can take that shot. Like I, I, I passionately, I passionately believe this. And I believe this before we played a single game last season about the geometry of the floor and the importance of it. Just having a guy that can shoot that shot. Like Thomas Bryan is an NBA player and an NBA three point shooter that if you give him consistent wide open shots, like 
it's at least going to be a defensive decision where, well, TB's hit the last two, three shots from three because he's wide open. Hey, maybe we have to guard that pick and pop. Maybe we don't react as much, but the fact that there's a decision to be made, that's one of the places where a defense can get broken down. So like, I just, I just feel this is more of a central thing that it's not just like, oh, it doesn't really matter that much going from like a five that can shoot to not being able to shoot. I think it means, it just means a ton. Oh, just, but Pete, you're implying that they're, I, this is kind of directed at Darius, but you're implying that they never had lineups with a center that could shoot last year. Well, yeah. And those, those lineups Which could score, did. but that was like Carmelo Anthony at the five. That has different catastrophic problems because who were the fives that could shoot? Anthony Davis shot like 18% from three. And he was our second best big shooting, uh, big as a shooter, because you had Dwight who did it fine. I would have loved to see more pick and pop from him, but teams aren't going to guard Dwight at the three-point line. And DJ didn't do it at all. And so who were these other bigs that were shooting that were a threat from out there? I think revisiting last season is mostly futile for a bunch of reasons. Um, Like the team wasn't very good in hindsight, and there were things that they could have done to be better in the moment. But LeBron and AD missed a ton of the season, and that's that. I disagree with Mike in the context that there was a big enough sample between LeBron and Russ and AD because I would have wanted to see more Mike around the idea of what LeBron and AD would have done to alter things in order to be able to account for Russ more because they're the caliber of player who can account for a player with more limitations where I disagree with Pete and fly up the Switzerland flag. It's going right up the hill right now (laughs) is that Russ proved to be a limited player in the exact ways that he's known to be a limited player over the course of his career and Mm -hmm. the level of adjusting that is required in order to account for that, particularly if he's not going to compete defensively the way that you want a player to compete defensively, that it's going to be hard to win at the level in which you want to win, even with LeBron and AD. And I think that's where the sample to me of like Jeannie Buss said this on the podcast appearance that she made with Sam Amick. And she said a lot of things about Russ. But one of the things that she said that was undebatable was Russ played almost the entire season. Mm -hmm. Right. So we do have a big sample on Russell Westbrook. The Lakers do. We saw we do. We we saw him every day, right? Now, you can you can you can change the context about the lineups that he played in and the deficiencies within those lineups and how those lineups may or may not have set him up for success. I think that there were some lineups that he appeared in that were geared towards his success and he played well and there were lineups that were geared toward his towards his success and he played poorly right Mm -hmm. like Russ did not have a good year by his own standards he said as much and after the season even Mm -hmm. though he said as much in ways that like I thought were like oh well this is almost like nonsense lack of accountability around this idea of like triple doubles and everything else well I didn't average a triple double It's, it's, it's just like come on man like read the room a little bit and so that's why i've come to the conclusion that i have with russ where it's just like okay i appreciated what the attempt to do with it was and i see where it fell short am i willing to take the chance that it will be better this season i crossed that threshold to the point where i was just like no 
No, I'm not. And it's just because the timing of it all is what what it is. If Russ was 27 and LeBron was 30 and AD was 24, I'd be like, hey, go for it. Go for it. But that's not the case. And that's why I've been ready to move on. It's just like time is of the essence here. And it was part of the argument that we were making yesterday, even Mm -hmm. in our discussion around LeBron. It's like, this is it. You've maybe got 18 months to basically get the best that LeBron has left. And if he goes even beyond that, he is defying everything that he's already defying everything we know about basketball longevity. But he's really there now. And so it's sort of like, okay, well, I'm ready. But this idea of will he be back? It's just like, okay, well, what does that look like then? And that's where I start to butt up against things because it's to me, it's less about last year and more about next season. And next season's ingredients would be different. But to what degree it changes the outcomes? I don't as a fan. And this is where I go back to what I was saying at the very beginning as a fan, I don't even really want to go down that path. But the decision makers seem to be like, hey, they don't care what you think, Darius. And that's fine. But it is something that I'm nervous about, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I mean, I think all of our preferences to find a good deal and everyone moves on and get a fresh start and all of that. But there's a threshold for that. And like I said at the beginning, Mike, there's each of us have a different line for that. You and I had a fun conversation yesterday trying to find that common ground that was quite fun where we could actually talk about specific players and ah, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? But that is the the factor here, right, is that the people who are making this decision have to choose door A or door B, but isn't it such a stark difference, right? Like we're, because whomever we trade for, they're going to come with holes in their game. They're going to come with, and especially if it's at that line where we're not that excited about the players that are coming back, like there's a reason, like it, it's going to be different than Russ, but it's still, those those guys come, come with problems too, I suppose is my point. But it's crazy the door A, door B uh, choice we have right now. Well, I just initiated a, a 10 minute, just complete different topic from what we got on. So we just like to, we just rehashed our last year argument instead of the, the one that we were getting at, which is sort of counterintuitive to the one that we ended up on, like as to sure. what, whether or not they will make the deal. Um, and then I just turned it to the basketball and I, it's, it's just a lot altogether. Right. I mean, it's been, and it's been weighing. Yeah, that's part of the point. Yeah. Like yeah. it's been weighing on the three of us. Right. <laughs> Let alone like the just us, just the three of us yes. in our text thread. It is dominated. What? I don't know what per, what percentage of our discussion. Right. And then you think about the impact on to me, you know, the fan base. Right. And but certainly just the front office and the players and the coaches. And it's just this big thing that is not that remains whether or not. So if if a if the roster is as is right now going into the season there remain some major basketball questions about how this could work and how this could fit. And you can, I think there's a school that agrees with Pete. And if you put the exact right type of player and spacing and personnel, then, then can it work a little better? Um, of course, uh, my counter would be that it, it can't work well enough to, to get you competitive enough to actually win anything because of the way the teams are going to play against it. And because of the amount of salary that's, do- that's, that's devoted to certain places um, and how that limits the production elsewhere. Maybe both of those things can be true. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but that is aside from just what is actually the initial question, right? Darius. And it, that, yeah, you know, 
the calculation, I think to, the, to summarize, would just go back to what our, our last pod was yesterday. And if, and if you missed it, I guess this would be informative there. And it kind of comes down to that one versus two pick thing in a lot of ways, because I yeah. think that there are a number of deals where you can you can decide to part with one first. But if you just even just look historically and this has changed in the last couple of years, but even in the last couple of years, there are only so many types of deals where one team gives up two first round picks and and they you know, they're more or less like slam dunk type trades. They're where typically you're for an all star player, a star. They're typically for an all star player. Yeah. And so it's for the team that's going to do one of those trades. I think it's hard to get everybody in the organization on board um, when you're not getting stars back. And, and it, it, this is a very particular situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. It but, is. But that doesn't change that fact that when you have to press, like, even if you're playing fantasy football and you know that your team, <laughs> you've got three running backs, right? And you need a wide receiver and somebody offers you two good ones. But your your running back is the one that's that's better, or that you took higher. It's hard to click accept. Mm-hmm. It just is. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to keep talking about this idea. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So in the con- in the context of uh, you know being a GM of a, of a fantasy team, we'll put ourselves in kind of that uh, same place with the Lakers, and I, I want to put myself in the position of the teams we're negotiating with. One of the things I've thought about for a lot of this uh, off season was if I'm sitting in their chair, I'm like, oh, you guys willing to just walk away from the table and go to camp with Russell Westbrook? Let's see you do it. I don't believe you. I want to see you do that, and. I would I would argue that the best from a pure negotiation position, but also on the floor, the best thing we can do is put out a decent team with Russell Westbrook on it, right? If if they have that if they have that uh, perspective, if other teams do, meaning that we're not going to give you very much player back at all, uh, 
then my argument yesterday completely falls apart, right? It ha- it's dependent on a, a certain amount of guy coming back to be able to win anyway, right? And so the best thing we can do, D, is go to camp with a Darvin Ham who has been talking up Russell Westbrook from the day he got hired. Yes. And this is the... That's a good thing, by the way. That's the coach's job is to coach the guys you have on the team every day of the year. But the best thing we can do is for that, plus a former enemy in Pat Bev, who has never played on a team that like his teams always give a shit. You go out there, you space the floor, you play hard, you get out in transition. About half of the team is motor guys now between JTA and TB and Pat Bev, Troy Brown. These are guys that play hard play defense and you put together a good team and then your argument in a couple months looks way more credible like we're fine going to the end of the season like this certainly if the return is that that's not going to get us closer to a championship but we would prefer door a but door b has to be a viable option for us and so i think that's the best thing that we can do i read a book before i bought my first car about negotiating on buying a car and basically this book was (laughs) Like 250 pages long, and literally it should have been five pages. What, what was the summary? Be willing to walk out the door? Yes. Okay. Yes. See, I didn't need to read the book. You didn't. And that's why I'm saying it should have been five pages. And one of the pages would have been like the cover page, and then it would have been, <laughs> you know. And that's basically what Pete is describing. It's like there's other fish in the sea. And if you don't, want to make a deal with me under the terms in which we've discussed, then I have to get up and leave. Because the second you get up to leave, but then but then it's just like, well, actually, would you be willing? No, you lost already. That's it. You lost a deal. Like, suddenly, you're the one that is now negotiating from a position of weakness. And so I agree with what you're saying, Pete. The interesting thing you talked about Pat Beverly. Pat Beverly is an interesting ingredient here. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about, we've made so many cooking analogies over the last, um, <laughs> I don't know, man, 18 months of doing the pod. Pete had his famous um, baking the cake analogy um, a couple of seasons ago about not having enough time to bake the cake, right? Well, even last year, like, and that was about the sample size thing. Like, I think every group of players and new group, especially if the fit isn't natural, you deserve to play three consecutive games more than once. Sure. You deserve to play more than 20. I think they played overall 22 games or something like that. And you deserve to play more than eight games in a lineup that makes like any sense in the world. And it may end up at the end of that in the exact same place. Right. Sure. But the the whole baking the cake thing applied to last year, too. Right. Like the cake never got baked. We might have, may have burned it and made it may have tasted like crap at the end of it anyway. Well, but it never like that's that was my sample size point. Darius, Pete mentioned that he and I chatted yesterday and it was in person uh, at the office. <laughs> and Pete brought in three large boxes of uh, baked goods that oh. were excellent. And Pete didn't <laughs> bake those. He picked those up at the store <laughs> and he dropped those oh, yeah. off. And it was a very kind and generous thing. First of all, if you bring stuff for a bunch of people, it's just a, it's a certain, it shows a certain amount of generosity. Um, so I want the people to know that that's a, that's a, that's a Team G player. move. That's a G move yes. right there. 
Um, yes. And I'm not saying they would have been. I love being there, man. That place makes me happy. So. Yeah. And, and you can shout it out if you want to or not. Oh, wait. Were you talking about the office? No, or I'm, the talk, I'm talking about the office. I'm oh, talking okay. about the office. Okay. I like the big goods place. But okay. yeah, we'll make them <laughs> okay. pay if they want to. But <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I don't have to extract this, a metaphor out of this, but I'm just saying sometimes, you know, you knew that place was good, right? And so you just picked those up and you brought them in. And if you were going to bake that cake, did you have 100% confidence that it was good? Or I, I don't know. Just a question. Just a question. So, yeah, no, I knew that it was going to be good. I've been there before. And there's a certain reliability there that neither of our options are that awesome bakery <laughs> to bring in. You know what I'm saying? And so this is my point. Like the alternative to Russ, whatever it has to be, that has to not also come with a bunch of other problems that may be less dramatic, that maybe play less on our frustrations. Because I think a big part of the Russ thing is just like last year was so freaking frustrating for so many reasons and Russ being a big part of them. Like, I think a big part of it is like, please just don't let me see this guy on my favorite team again, that I think informs a lot of the conversation around it. But I think the decision makers have to be a little more prudent about that and wait, wait it out. And I think that the best thing to to do right now is to, we have work to do to make ourselves be good. Well, I think we talk too much about the championship and about winning a championship. And obviously that's always our end goal, but it's so far away that if we were like, mountain climbing we fell off the the rock and we're so far away from like getting to the summit where it's like we have problems between now and then that we need to address before we really even start to entertain that and so like getting on the same page we can do that with russ and it puts us in that you know buying a new car position where like the ability to get up from the table and feel confident in that and feel good in that or as good as you can relative to the alternative is super important yeah, so I think that this is an interesting conversation because it's very much in stark contrast to the conversation that we had yesterday, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm ready That's to make a deal. It. Like, I'm Me ready too. to make a deal. And I think the team should make the best deal that it can, basically. This was a discussion that we had yesterday. The idea of making the best deal that you can before the season starts is still my top priority. Mine. I don't know what the front office is or or whatever. But this is where the front office's idea does matter because they do not get to operate in podcast world where they can talk about one, they can have one discussion today and one discussion tomorrow. And, oh, those conversations kind of contradict themselves. Well, whatever. We're having a podcast. We're talking about potential paths, right? Like yeah, yes. we can look at those and you know what? They have had these conversations. They have these conversations all the time and have been having them into last season, but they are the ones that have to choose one of those paths. And yes. that is where like the players coming back have to be good enough. All these factors, you got to pick one and you don't get to go back. And so this is where I want to get back into Pat Bev. And we talked a lot about, um, again, the cooking analogies, right? And ingredients, So Pat Bev is a very specific type of ingredient. If you're deciding like, okay, well, I'm going to make some chicken. I think today I want my chicken to be spicy. Let's add some heat to this. Well, Pat Bev is just like, oh, great, spicy chicken. I'm the cayenne. So that's what you're adding to the equation now. And when Pete made a very interesting point about Pat Beverly teams giving a damn. And one of the reasons why is because he gives a damn and he is very much the type of player where he's going to play. And when he plays, he's going to play a certain way. 
And oftentimes there is enough around him in terms of players who buy into that idea of like, oh man, look at this dude, this dude on our team. Well, we're going to do some of that too. Mike, an interesting thing that Pat Bev said, and we referenced it in the Pat Bev pod, that if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that from a few episodes ago, was there was that quote that he had when he was discussing um, accountability. And he was talking mostly about LeBron James, right? Like, oh, well, no one's been able to do that since Rondo. And I'll go and tell LeBron about this, this, that, and the other. If we're talking about the context of Russell Westbrook returning, dead, what of the guys who Pat Bev is going to be talking to and trying to hold accountable is Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about a LeBron James-led team. LeBron will get on you and he will yell at you. But LeBron is, to me, one of those friendly types of leaders. He is the dude that will make a passive-aggressive barb, I think, just as easily as he will yell at someone, especially a passive-aggressive barb if someone is at a certain level, right? Because if you're at a certain level, I think LeBron expects you to to basically do the things that you're supposed to do because you're at a certain level. If you're a role player, he will yell at you as a role player because role players might need a little bit more guidance, right? But if you're a star player, it's kind of like, hey, man, you know the deal. You're a star. You're like me. You are cut from the same cloth, even if you're maybe not as great as me. I'm LeBron James. I'm one of the best players ever. And so I'm not sure how much a LeBron or an Anthony Davis were going to be like, hey, Russ, like you F that up right there or like but i know someone who will yep yep say that and so that needed like things needed to be addressed last year in ways where it's like there's a difference between saying something and addressing something like pat bev is going to get in your face i i don't know darvin ham and his style well enough i think you could probably speak to this mike but like he's a guy that he's a presence and he's somebody that i think he's going to speak up in ways that like Last year's team needed to get in a fight to resolve what it did. And we even, they even did Dwight and AD were at each other, but not that kind, the kind that's in practice where it's like, Hey, stop bullshitting, right? Like Vogel is saying over and over again, got to make your low man rotation, got to do this and that Mike, but there's a difference between that and like the actual enforcement of it. You need players who actually enforce that on the court. And I think that's what Darius is talking about here is that Pat Bev is always going to enforce that. Now that mixed with a Russ Russ who doesn't always have a great deal of accountability and someone who's always calling you out for lack of accountability. Very curious to see how that works out, but that is what was needed to resolve whatever could be resolved. So before I get to Russ, just first on Pat Bev, part of what I was doing in the office yesterday, I was looking up some Pat Bev stuff and his net rating always stood out to me. And basically you watch him play and especially in a regular season game, you know that he's raising the team's floor because of all of that effort, because of that focus, because of that energy, because if you have one player doing that and you're not, it stands out, you know, even in a cynical way, it's like, well, man, like I better step my game up some and that helps teams win. Now, Pete posited, and it, it as the eye test in the past of watching the playoffs would prove that this probably goes down some in the playoffs when everybody's level goes up, right? Every First of all, the teams are better. The players are better. The stakes are clear. Every game is on national TV. You know, so you're, you're the guys that have gotten there, at least to some extent, by playing harder, which is a talent, which is a skill, um, that evens out some. And that extends to players like Chris Paul, even, 
or a Kyle Lowry, these kind of like every night bulldog types, leader types. Um, it's not going to affect somebody like LeBron as much, who was so much more talented uh, and intelligent in those. So this proves out to be true, right? So Pat Bev's team ranks, this is his team rank. I'll, I'll, the numbers have all been in the positive, but for net rating on his team, going back to his rookie year, first, first, 10th, second, third, first, second, third, third, fifth. Playoffs, it's a little different. Second, fourth, uh, missed with an injury. Third, fourth, missed with an injury. Fifth, fourth, sixth, sixth. And, and I'll write this up because it's it's probably not fun to listen to that, all of those numbers um, in podcast form. So the basic point of that is that he is, gonna, he is going to make your whole team better. He's going to lead your team to more wins um, just based on, on the way that he plays and the intensity. Think about that impact on the trade negotiations. We have a tough start to the season. Say we get off to a good start that Pat Bev has that impact on us that he's had on every other team where you're going to be a little bit better during the regular season. You're going to have it during more of those 82. All of a sudden, we look functional in ways that we that's certainly not the last memory that we left of this team. I feel like it puts us in a stronger trade position. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. Um, I agree with that, too. And now where I'm going to I'm going to flip a little bit is that. There are certain players, and I think Westbrook is one, where you can sit in the film room for a whole season. And I know that they did last year. And whether it's Frank Vogel or a teammate, I just don't think that Russ sees the, the game the same way as some others might. I think that he sees his own game, the way that he plays, and as being like, this is how I, I play best. This is what I do. And you can watch all the film in the world. You can have Patrick Beverly yell at you. You can have LeBron speak... Uh, in the most positive context needed or not at all. And I just think that there, you know, I've been watching Russ since 2008. There's a certain way that he plays and that he's going to play. And I don't know that, that you can, we can expect even if Darvin Ham and to an extent, Pat Beverly, let's say that they, they kind of bury the hatchet and get along fine. I just don't expect those things to suddenly change um, in, in certain players. And, and Russ could be included in that. There are other players in the league that, uh, that can as well, but yeah, Darius, please jump in. Um, that's It's just something that I think that Bev does for the team, but I don't think you can expect uh, it to work for every every single player, especially when there's a previous relationship. I think everybody has a bandwidth, including Russell Westbrook, of their lo- least engaged to their most engaged. We can all think of our favorite job that we've ever had or our least favorite job we've ever had and our level of like attention and and how good we were at the the job we hated was probably in a different place than the one that we liked the most and the environment that we liked the most type of thing, you know? And so I think that, does that mean that it will get the best out of, out of Russ? Or does that mean that Russ will see the, the thing that Pat, be, that Pat Bev sees and identify it and make that change? Not necessarily, but there are places where it can improve within Russ, right? That I've seen it within Russell Westbrook. I I think I've seen him be an engaged player and be a helpful one on playoff teams. If you put LeBron and AD next to that, what can that do? I don't know. But the fact is that he's been on good teams before. It's not like we're talking about some alien concept of of Russell Westbrook on a on a decent team. So I think that just what you can get out of him is valuable. And I think Pat Bev will help do that. So I've got a lot of takes on Russell Westbrook as a player. One of the things, most of them after last season are, like I said, neutral or whatever. If you wanted me to make a pro Russell Westbrook argument or an optimistic take, I could, I could do that. And I could, one of the things that I would say if I were making that argument, 
argument is, because I think everything that Mike said, I want to preface this first. I think everything that Mike said is fair, right? That some guys just basically, they are who they are. They're yep. going to do what they do. And it don't matter if you use, like, they talk about the carrot or the stick. And you can have the carrot. Carrot don't work. You try the stick. The stick don't work. It's just like, okay, well, then this mule ain't moving, right? It's just like, this is what it is. The other side of that argument is, is that Patrick Beverly may be the exact type of asshole that Russell Westbrook needs. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I think. Yeah. And you look at it from the context of Russell Westbrook in a contract year going into uh, like basically he's going to be a free agent next summer regardless. And if you're ever going and this is the same argument that people are making about Kyrie Irving right now, just so that we're clear. It is basically like Kyrie Irving just had a season where he defied vaccine mandates and basically sat out more than half of a season on principle and torpedoed his team's chances to win a championship because he was doing whatever he felt like doing, right? Standing up for the little guy or whatever his perspective was. Now, Kyrie is being talked about as like, oh, look at this guy. He's showing up to the facility. He's talking to young players. He's taking the right perspective. And there's a cynical aspect of that, which is like, yeah, you know why? It's because Kyrie Irving is looking for his next contract next season. And his value around the league is basically at an all-time low where the Lakers were thinking we could get this dude for Russell Westbrook potentially. And a couple of first round picks that in the big picture probably don't mean anything to the people who are in charge right now, or to Rob Palinka even, because he's just like, hey, if this works, great. If it doesn't, I'm not going to be the guy who has to make those draft picks that are non-existent, right? And so, whatever. And so, the the pro-Russ argument is, you've got a teammate who basically isn't going to give a damn about making things uncomfortable, about saying whatever the hell he wants to, to this dude. He will be... He will yeah. be, con- th- I, I believe this teammate is going to be confrontational every single day he wants yes. it to be confrontational until things move in a certain direction. So is that going to make a difference? I actually do not know. But if the team, if the front office decides their best opportunity to make a deal is not before the season starts. It's not before training camp. It's not before LeBron's players only camp. It's all the way up until the trade deadline and potentially that walk away idea of no deal at all. They have to be thinking that this is the potential path towards that. It's that we are building the team that can actually help optimize Russell Westbrook, both from a personnel standpoint and from a personality standpoint. Do I actually believe that? I am skeptical as hell, personally, that that is the case and that it's going to work out that way. But if you want my argument, my pro Russ argument, that's it. It's that everything is lining up for him to try to be the best version of himself this season and that the Lakers have the personnel and the personalities to try to enable that. That's really it. And I think that's the other side of the argument that we had from yesterday's pod. 
and these were discussions we were having at the beginning of the offseason. Remember the whole, the, I want the team to, if we're going to have Russell Westbrook on the team, and if we want to present that as a viable option, we have to calibrate toward him. We have to have the type of personnel around him that's motor, speed, and spacing, right? Like it's it's speed, athleticism, all of that. And these are concepts that went back to last year. And so if it doesn't, if we go into the season with this group, and it doesn't work out, Mike. I will. I will completely cede my all of the arguments uh, that we've had over this last year, uh, year, year plus now, just in terms of its complete unworkability. But I think that the ingredients are there for it to be the best version that it can be. And if we can make it the best version that it can be, even if that is not a championship team, that puts us in position to use the whole purpose of waiting and making a trade is to use that to our benefit and hopefully be in a better position by the time we're at the trade deadline. And then teams owe Russ a little bit less money. Maybe it costs a little bit less compensation and we can keep a good team going or we just rebuild in, in the off season. But we are, we are um, incentivized to build the best team possible around Russ if Russ is going to stay. And I think that, that we've done that at about as, as well as we could have this off season. Man, I mean, I've my central point throughout this offseason has been more towards the like the asset part of it, right? And so, which is the longer that you are able to hold on to that, and the the longer that you have a player on your roster like that, it, the easier it is to move, and the less that you have to attach to it. So that that I do fully agree with, and I've also just said that the I think it just depends on what those trades are, and that's why that's why there's been so much discussion about that. Um, I am. I am not convinced that Pat Bev is the type of <laughs> is the person that is going to get Russ to to do a certain thing based on their history. Um, but I do think they both need if they are in the roster, they are professionals. And by nature, it is both of their job to make it work. Um, I just yes. my expectation. So that is their job and they should be held to that standard. It's just my my expectation is that, you know, that might be like I don't know if Pat Bev speaking to teammates Right. Is the way it's more just like the way that he plays forces the level to go up. Well, but I I think it's all of the above. Right. And I think uh, like we need if if they're if they are going to play together, it's less about the, the talking and more about a certain level of accountability and of addressing it. Last year's team got poisoned, meaning that there was kind of this funk that started to build up and build up and then it got worse and worse and it spiraled out of control. But in, was in part because things didn't get addressed. Like there's a difference between saying it in the film room over and over again, but like it may completely blow up and go totally wrong, Mike. And Pat Bev gets in Russ's face about something. And then we're all over all of the news channels and all of the sports shows in the next morning. And it's awful. I guarantee it will not wallow in funk though. It will be in, it will be something that is addressed one way or another. And then that's when you get to the, Hey, we might have to send Russ home. That's the point where it's like, Hey, this can't work. But, but addressing it up front and being like, yo, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is, we are addressing all of these things rather than letting them just linger. Yeah, that's, that's the way that's to approach the professional this part of this too. And, and that's also right, yeah. a thing that I think that Darwin is going to be, is good at, right. Uh, regardless yeah. of who's on the roster. That's a, that's a one it's, thing in his physical presence his like the person yes. that he is, um, I think helps make that as, as good as it can get right. Based on what the yes. situation is. It's as calibrated toward Russ as I could hope for uh, quite honestly. So 
<laughs> we went a little long today. This was fun. A very uh, passionate podcast today. Uh, I don't think we'll be back tomorrow, but possibly Friday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Brian. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.